Well, I want to start out by recognizing the shepherd of the house, Apostle Willie Tobit, and his very lovely wife, uh, Pastor Mamie Tobit, and all of you at Yes Lord Ministries. It's always an honor and a privilege for me to have the opportunity to share the word of the Lord with you. It's an exciting time right now in Earth's history, and regardless of the things that you see that are happening around you in the world, this is really uh, an exciting time in Earth's history, and we are honored to have the opportunity to live in this particular time in the history of earth because of the things that God is doing by his spirit and the fulfilling of the prophetic word that was given to us thousands and thousands of years ago, even when God began to speak before the very foundation of the world. I wanted, what I want to do today, um, and I won't be before you very long, but I wanna spend the time that I do have with you uh, talking about um, the the real Jesus, because I know that, you know, many of us were introduced to Jesus at a certain point in our lives. Um, you know, he's like a savior for many. And for many, he's he's a curious man. They don't know who he is. They don't know very much about him. I remember when I was coming up, uh, you, you, you everybody knew about Jesus. And not, I'm not saying everybody was a believer, but at least everybody had an idea of who this man Jesus was. But today, uh, with the uh, way things are in our society, many of the young people today don't know who he is. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so easy to steer young people away uh, from the church as well as from uh, Christ himself. It's because they he's not talked about the way that he was when I was coming up. He's not recognized the way um, that he was when I was coming up. So they don't have access or let, let me put it another way, they have access, but they choose not to use it because they don't see him as being someone that's relevant in this day and time. But I want to I want to talk more about him because he's more than the Jesus uh, that you know many of many people in the world try to portray him as. I want to start in the book of John. I'm not going to stay there, but in the book of um, the Gospel of John, I, I want to start with the with the introduction of him to the world, because now you've got to understand he was not always known as Jesus or Yeshua. That was not his name originally. That was his earth's name. But now originally he was known as the word. And when you really get to know him and allow him by the spirit to introduce himself to you, you get to know him more intimately and you wonder why everyone in the world don't gravitate towards him. So in the book of John, uh, St. John chapter one, I'm gonna start at verse one. Uh, let me give you int this introduction of Jesus to you, but as the word in the beginning, before times began, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So that's who he is. In the beginning, he's known as the word also in the um, epistle of John. You you will also see testimony of him there, that uh, there are three that bear record in heaven, and the word is one of those. So now, again, how did how did we get to know him? Was it, was it really uh, in the New Testament? Is this really uh, when God the Father began to manifest his son? No, it was not. So I want to go back to the very beginning of God introducing uh, his, his son, the word, 
which he was known as in heaven to the earth. Because now if you can see this in the Old Testament, the Old Testament actually ties together the things that are said in the New Testament. It's sort of like someone saying something years ago and you see the manifestation of that word. Well, that's exactly what the Old Testament is. God concealed, the New Testament is God revealed. You have an amazing man of God there, so I'm sure you know this. Well, let me go a little further because I want to, I want to show you how intimately the Lord desired to be a part of us. Even before I go to the book of Exodus, and you can go there while, while I'm talking, Exodus chapter 25. You know, even in the book of Genesis, you see that the council of God decided to get together and they wanted to make a man. You know, the angels didn't know what it was, but, you know, in the mind of God, they knew what mankind was. And it was their desire that they could have a man, someone that they could pour their love into. So God, you know, we were always in the heart and in the mind of God. But now when, you know, when we came forth, God blessed us. He enabled us to be everything that he had purposed for us to be. So I want to say to those of you who may feel as though you don't have a purpose on this earth, because many young people right now, they fall into the dilemma of not knowing who they are. Suicide rate amongst young people is, is out of control. And mainly it's because young people fall into depression because believe it or not, you know, the thing that I hear so many times is I just don't know who I am. I just don't know what I'm here for. Well, I want you to know today that God has a plan and purpose for your life. If you are living, if you are on this earth, then God had you on his mind. So now in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 25, and I want to introduce Jesus to you in the Old Testament, because now you, you really need to understand that he didn't come into existence when he showed up on earth. He was always in existence. He was always there. And the things that God did in the Old Testament, it was beginning to reveal not only who Jesus was, but who he would be to us. So now in uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse uh, one, I started. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they may bring an offering of every man that gives it willingly with his heart. You shall bring my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin and dyed red and badger skin for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them, now listen, and let them, Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell amongst them. It was always the plan of God, saints, to be with us. Even from Genesis, when the Bible talked about him walking in the midst of the garden to have fellowship, you know, with Adam and Eve, it was always his intent to be with mankind until sin came. But now once sin came, God, from that moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God has been making a way to bring us back into fellowship with him. Now let's talk about the tabernacle, one of my favorite subjects in the word of God, the tabernacle of God. Why did God build a tabernacle? Well, you don't have to guess, I told you. So that he could have a place to dwell amongst his people. But now, why did he go into such detail 
about how he wanted things to be. Because I let me let me just guess about this. So let me give you my opinion, how I feel about it. I believe that God told Moses or God showed Moses. We won't even talk about how that happened. But God showed Moses, you know, the pattern of the tabernacle so that when he came here, he <coughs> excuse me. He could feel right at home. You know, have you ever been to someone's house and they they know how you like things and they they make everything just the way you like it so that when you get there, you can feel right at home. And I believe that's why God gave Moses the design of the tabernacle so that when he showed up, he could feel right at home. But more than that. God was pointing to the eventual coming of his son. The tabernacle is an amazing uh, piece of work that God gave to mankind. It's amazing when you see that. As a matter of fact, listen, let me tell you all something. I have had the opportunity to visit heaven four times. But my first introduction uh, to Jesus was not in heaven, but it was in the Old Testament seeing the tabernacle. This is the first time, believers, I really began to get a picture of who the Lord is. I really began to see and understand what God was trying to show us. Now, just like always, God began his work of the tabernacle from the inside out. God begins his work with you from the inside out. Do you not know that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have designated assignments to mankind? If you go to the book of Luke chapter 15, this is just a little sidebar for you. If you go to Luke uh, chapter 15, you, you will see there that it gives the parable of the, of the shepherd of the woman who had a, a lost piece or 10 pieces of silver that was lost and or, or one piece of silver that was lost of the 10 and also the father who welcomed the son back home. Now, now I want you to see this Jesus's work or the shepherd's work was on the outside of the house. He went and found the sheep, the sheep that was lost. He put it on his shoulder. He didn't, he didn't uh, expect the sheep to find his way back home. You know what, when you're lost, you know, you need somebody to help you to find your way back. And this is what Jesus Jesus does. He placed the sheep on his shoulder and he led him back to the flock. But now the, the woman with the lost piece of silver, she lit a candle and searched inside of the house. Don't you know that's the job of the Holy Spirit? He begins his work on the inside of us. He, he lights a candle, which is our spirit. The, the spirit of man uh, is the candle of the Lord. So God, God lights a candle on the inside of us and he does his work on the inside. But it's the father who forgives us, who's waiting there with open arms to accept us. So now we get a picture of what God was doing from the very beginning. But now I want you to see the tabernacle. It is beautiful. It is astounding to see the see what God did. But now when you look at the tabernacle, and I don't have a picture in front of me, but I'm sure all of you know what it looks like. You know, there, there was a large area that was built. They had the outside of the tabernacle. Then they had one gate. They had one. Now listen, y'all need to get this because everything in the tabernacle meant something. There was one way in the east gate. There was only one way to get in to the courtyard of the tabernacle. That is not a coincidence. You say, well, why is that, a, that not a coincidence? Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way. I am the only way to get in to the presence of God. So there was one gate. There's one way in. You know, Jesus said, listen, no man can come to my father but 
by me or but through me. So there was one gate at the east end of that tabernacle. There was only one way in and only one way out. So now Jesus was that gate. Now, let, let me tell you this. That gate, the gate was known. Y'all better get this. You, I hope y'all got a pen. This is good stuff. Y'all better get this. That gate was known as the way. Listen, go, go back and look at Jewish history. That gate, that only way into the tabernacle was known as the way. Did y'all hear me? That gate was known as the way. So now, as you go into that gate or as you go into the way, that, that's symbolic of you, of you being saved, you entering into a relationship with God. And it's amazing to me, as you, as you go into the courtyard, as you go into that gate, the first thing that the priest would see when he walked into that gate was the brazen altar. Did y'all get that? The first thing that he saw was blood. The first thing that he saw was death. Y'all need to get this because that represented Jesus on the cross. That represented him being stretched out. As a matter of fact, if you were to get a peripheral view of the tabernacle and look, go high up in the air and look down at the tabernacle, what you would see would be a cross. Because God was always pointing to redemption. Because from the book of Genesis to Revelation is a book of restoration. You got to get this. So God always had us in mind. Don't you ever think for one moment that God did not have us in mind. Even after we sinned, God was yet still excited about us. Oh my God, can you imagine how excited he was when he brought Moses up on the mount and showed him the tabernacle? You, you know, you know, he, he didn't just talk about it. He showed it to him. He said, listen, I want you to build me a tabernacle based on the design that I'm showing you. So can you imagine when God gave Moses a personal tour of his tabernacle? And he said, listen, now I want you to pattern to build one on the earth based on what you are seeing right now. God has always wanted to dwell amongst his people. It's always been the desire of our heavenly father to have intimacy with us, to have an intimate relationship. That's why he said, listen, you can't come to me by any other way. You can't come to me anyway. Way, but you've got to come through the way, which is the east gate. And that door was called the way. You know, you know, what does it mean? Well, I think Jesus gave, gave us a clue. Jesus said, I am the way. So, you know, that gate, you know, I, and I, I know the apostles instantly understood what he was talking about when he said, I am the way that east gate. Yeah, that's me. I am the only way that you can get to my daddy. The only way that you can get to the father is through me. So that east gate folks represented me. But now let's talk about that brazen labor because that's where sacrifice was. That is where, you know, Jesus had to die. That is where blood had to be shed. And that is where your flesh must die. Come on, somebody. Your flesh must die. Your fleshly nature, I'm talking about, must die. Everybody has got to go through the way of the brazen altar. You see, some people want to pass by the altar and go straight to um, the, um, the labor and, and get clean. But no, 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 no. You've got to go through the way of death. You've got to die. Your fleshly nature has got to die. You know, you have the word of God says, 
Yes, I am crucified with Christ. What does it mean? That my fleshly nature and all of the things that it desires has to die first. We've got to go through the way of the cross. And people don't talk about the cross enough, enough, I believe, these days. We somehow, we're trying to have this, you know, gospel that everybody can enjoy. I'm not concerned about you enjoying it. I'm concerned about it changing you, who you are. I'm concerned about the gospel ministering life to you. You got to get this. So everybody needs to go through the way of the altar. You, you can't miss the altar. You know, there are so many churches now. They, they've got these beautiful edifices and, you know, they got everything but an altar. They don't even have altars anymore. You, you've got to go through the way of the altar, which means you, you come to God and you lay who you are before God and you give yourself to God holy. You are dying to who you are, but you are being resurrected to who he is in you. Did y'all get that? So the tabernacle is a beautiful expression of who God is. Now you go from that, you go from the brazen labor to to the, um, not the brazen labor, but the altar, to, to the labor. Now the, the labor is interesting because it was made of, of brass mirrors by that was used uh, by the uh, Israelite and the Egyptian women. So now what does it mean? It meant that when, when the sacrifice was being made by the high priest, you know, he became bloody and dirty. And every time that he would go there to wash, he also would see his need to be clean. Do y'all get this? So, you know, whenever you go, the labor represents a mirror that you look at yourself and you recognize, even though God has saved me, I need to be clean. You see, some people, they only want to come through the gate. You know, well, I've accepted Jesus, but that's as far as I go. They don't want to go past the altar. No, no, no. They don't want to do that. All they want to do is to get through the gate. But it takes more to develop intimacy with God. It requires a sacrifice on your part. It requires fasting. It requires prayer. It requires intercession. But then after that, it requires washing of the word. How do you get washed? By the word of God. The, the word of God, studying the word of God, meditating on the word of God. You know, th this is how you, you become clean. The word of God, though, what is the, the Bible says by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Ghost. So it's the word of God that cleanses us. We need a constant dose of the word of God because, see, listen, I want you all to get this. You cannot come into the presence of God any kind of way. And listen, I am. Listen, hear me right. I am not knocking anyone. I'm just saying this. I don't believe you should just come before the presence of God looking any kind of way. You know, well, well, what do you have to base that on, Pastor Bazemore? Well, you know, it was God that told Moses, I want you to build, not, not to build, but to make me a garment for Aaron, your brother. And there's a certain way that I want him to look when he comes into my presence because it reminds me of what's going on here in heaven. So now there, there's a garment that, that God built for the high priest when he would come into his presence. You know, and I think when you come into the presence of God, you should give him your best. Oh, my God, you should give God the best that you have. But let's look at the tabernacle again, because it's really pointing to Jesus who died on the cross. It was Jesus. There was an altar there. It represented the cross. Now we go into uh, that, that labor that represents cleansing. It represents the cleansing that we need. But now, listen, I want you to get this. When you leave that, that brazen labor, there is a doorpost there. There's another door there. 
that takes you from the courtyard into the holy place. Now listen, everybody was allowed into the courtyard, but only certain ones was allowed into the holy place. Why? Because that was God's design. There, there is something special about developing intimacy with God that allows you to go places that others can't go. Have you ever seen, you know, you, you have now these days that people want to teach you, <clears throat> excuse me, the dynamics of prayer. They want to teach you about how to pray, the seven steps of prayer. Yeah, this is what you need to do. For, no, no, no. I need to follow people that pray. I don't care nothing about no steps. I want to know how do I get into the presence of God? Well, you got to go through the altar. You got to go through the labor to be clean. And then you are ready. Then you are prepared. Everybody will not be allowed in the holy place. Now, that door that leads into the holy place, now listen, is called or was known as the truth. Do y'all get this? Everything that Jesus did, you know, Jesus said, it pointed to something in the Old Testament, in the, in the tabernacle. I am the way. It was the east gate. I am the truth. That was the doorway that led into the holy place. Are y'all getting this? So Jesus said, it was always me. I have always been here with you. Yes, I was not known as Jesus then, but the word, I have always been there with you. Everything that you see in the tabernacle was pointing to Yeshua Hamashiach. Everything was pointing to him. That doorway, yes. And listen, that doorway, that, that entrance into the holy place, it had five different posts that held it up, which represented the, the five-fold ministry. Do y'all see how this, oh my goodness, this is good stuff. Do y'all see how this thing tied together? Now, you have the apostle, you have the prophet, you have the evangelist, you have the pastor and the teacher. Now, I want you to look at this. Look at this apostle. The, the apostle that represents the thumb, the one finger that touches all the other ministries. Look at it. That one finger that touches all of the other ministries. The apostle represents a person that's, uh, you know, he's been in there all, he's been an evangelist, he's been a prophet, an apostle, a pastor, a teacher. He represents all of the ministries. But now you have that prophet, which is the this finger right here, the pointing finger. You know, this isn't this what the prophet does? Thus says the Lord. But now you have this finger right here, which is the largest finger of all, which represents the evangelist. Why? Because the evangelist touches souls all over the world. Now that apostle and prophetic ministry is more localized, but that evangelist goes all over the world. That's why it's the largest finger because it has a representation in the hand. But now this gentle finger right here, we call it the ring finger. It represents the pastor. Why? Because he's gentle. That's the, that's the role of the pastor. And then this small finger right here, you know, it, it represents it's something that's small because it can, it's kind of like it gets into the small places that the other fingers can't get to. But now altogether you have a hand which represents the power of God. So now you, the, these five posts that was, you know, literally holding up the doorway to the truth, you know, it represents the ministry of God in this present time. Do, do y'all get this? So everything there in that tabernacle, God had us in mind thousands and thousands of years later. But God already knew. That's why he told Moses, listen, I'm going to give you a design and y'all better get this. 
when God gives you a word, he, it is not open for, you know, interpretation or to for you to do what you want. You've got to follow the word of God the way that God gives it to you. You cannot just say God gives you a word and then you say, well, I think he meant this. No, he meant exactly what he said. He said, Moses, I'm giving you a design because this is not just about right now. This is about this is about the thousands of years that are to come when people like John Bazemore, you know, is going to be sitting down and he's going to be telling the world what it represents. So I need you to get this right because this represents my son. You've got to know, believers, who you represent. Don't you know that the kingdom of God is inside of you? Don't you know who are you who you are representing? You've got to rep it the right way. That that doorway that led into the truth. What what do you see when you go into the holy place? The first thing you see is the candlesticks. The the John candlestick. What does it represent? Illumination. Come on. What did Jesus say? I am what? The light of the world. You Listen, you can't make this stuff up. Jesus said everything that was in that tabernacle, Jesus began to point it out so that we can understand. I am the light of the world. That, that is one of the first things that you see in the holy place is that candlestick, which represents illumination. And then you have the, the table of showbread. What does that represent? Well, it represents satisfaction. I am, what did Jesus say? I am what? The bread of life. You, there's a lot of I am's there, but they all meant something. Jesus said, I need y'all to, and listen, you got to understand, Jesus was talking to a Jewish audience. They understood what he was talking about. They got it. I am that bread that's in the holy place. Yeah, that's me. I am the bread of life. I am the satisfaction that you need. And, and that, that, that bread was sprinkled with frankincense. Now, you know, it smelled good, but it tastes bitter. And, you know, when, when you follow Jesus, you know, you get the aroma of new life. But I'm going to tell you something else. You will suffer persecution along with that. Jesus said to himself, if you follow me, you're going to suffer persecution. That's, the, that's what the frankincense represented. Yeah, it smells good, but it tastes bitter. They all represented something. And then you then you had their, the, the incense, which represented uh, praise of the saints and represented the prayers that went up to God. Everything meant something. Our prayers right now is a sweet smell and aroma to God. When, 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 we, when he hear our prayers, he's reminded of that incense that's in the holy place. That, that incense that was going up to God represented us before we even got here. My God. Why? Because the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Did, are y'all getting this thing? So now, when God spoke to Adam and Eve, you know, in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1, he spoke at that word Adam means mankind. So now you, you hadn't manifested yet, but God spoke to you because, listen, you were a spirit that was waiting to show up. Listen, you had an assignment before you arrived here. God told Jeremiah, I knew you, man, when you was in your mama's womb. You're not new to me. You know, your problems are not new to me. Your situation is not new to me. Don't you know that my son took care of that from the foundation of the world? As the book of Revelation says, the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. So there's nothing the devil can do. He can fight you, but he's not going to win. He can harass you, but it's not going to work. 
He can try to curse you, but the curse causeless cannot land. So what can he do? You are covered by the blood of Yeshua Hamashiach. Everything about you says holiness. Everything about you says righteousness, not because of you, but because of who he was or who he is in us. Now, that doorway, you know, you've heard many stories talking about the doorway that leads into the Holy of Holies. You know, that big veil that was rent on the, the, the moment that Jesus gave up the ghost, that the veil that separated you know, the holy place from the holy of holies was rent, which means we could all go in. But that doorway was called the light. What did Jesus say? Are y'all getting this? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He, listen, everything means something. Do, do you get this? So the tabernacle represented Jesus. It was God, you know, the Father introducing the word to us before he even got here. You know, I can love a man and respect a man who tell us what he's going to do thousands of years before he gets here. Tell us, you know, where he's going to be born, how he's going to be born, who he's going to be born through, and then he does it. Yeah, I don't know anybody else that's done something like that. And also, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to get up. And he did it. My God, my God, this is the kind of God that we serve. So now it was God introducing the word to us. Now the word, as the St. John 1 and 1 says, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh. So what? The word made flesh, his name was Jesus. His name was Jesus, but the word has always been. He has always existed. Jesus just did not begin existing when he showed up on earth. But now he was trying in the Old Testament then to show us who he is. He is the, the way to God. He is the truth of God. He is the life of God. D don't you know this is this who this is who he is he has always been here he, the tabernacle represented jesus you know in the old testament he he's a, he was not just in the new testament he was always with us my god my god you know you you think about you know melchizedek and people say you know there's a lot of there's a lot of conjecture about who he who, who this person was but now, when you look at the attributes of him, he had no father. He had no mother. He had no beginning. He had no, no ending. But he was like the son of God. Well, my goodness, you know, uh, well, I believe it may have been the pre-incarnate Jesus. But whether he was or not, you know, this is just another way of showing you that he always existed. Let me give you some more about the tabernacle. Because it's a beautiful picture. And I hope I'm not running out of time, but it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. You know, that, that East Gate. So let me tell you how it was situated. There were 12 tribes of Israel. We all know that. But now what you don't know, the 12 tribes surrounded the tabernacle. There was three tribes on the north, three tribes on the south, three tribes on the east, three tribes on the west. But now the tribes that was on the east were directly, they were stationed directly in front of the only way in to God. Do, do y'all get this? And the, the one tribe that was directly in front of the doorway was Judah. Was that a coincidence? Absolutely not. Why? How do we suppose to enter the gates? Well, Judah reminds us, 
enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. God put Judah in front of the gate to remind us how we are to come into the presence of God. You know, that's not all. When Jesus, you know, came, you know, he said something that I thought was interesting. He said this, if two or three are gathered together in my name, I would be right there in the midst or in the middle of them. Where was the tabernacle located? It was located in the middle of the tribes of Israel that surrounded the gate. Let me tell you something else, because, you know, you got to learn the language of God. You've got to learn the language of God and how he speaks. You know, he speaks to all of us differently, but we, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They recognize me when I'm speaking. And you've got to know that. Don't you know? This is just another little sidebar. When a Jewish man would get into, get a betrothed to a Jewish woman, listen to what he would say to that Jewish bride. He would say this. He would stand before her, making a covenant, standing before her. And he would say this. These were his exact words. And I'm talking thousands of years ago. I go to prepare. <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That was part of the Jewish ceremony. Do y'all get this? So when Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. That was the moment that we became engaged to Jesus. All of us, Shandalabosa. Are y'all getting this thing? He was always with us. When he always speaks a language that we are familiar with. Please get this in your spirit, believers. Get this thing in your spirit. Because you've got people now saying there was no historical Jesus. It's all a lie. Jesus never existed. Well, let me, and then they go on to say that Moses and, and none of the um, great uh, patriarchs existed, but they have to say that. Why? Because if Moses existed, then that means everything that we saw in the tabernacle, it had to be Jesus. And G when Jesus got here and began to speak the language that they would understand, my God, I can only imagine the, the shock of the disciples as they were sitting there and he said to them, I go to prepare a place for you. I can, I can imagine them saying, it's really him. It's really him. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And let me tell you, believers, Jesus is the one that you've been waiting for. He is the answer to the world right now. We are going through all of these, all of these exercises and or trying to all of, trying to find all of these different ways to settle the world, but the answer to the world is Jesus. What does this song used to say? Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. He is the answer for the world today. But he has always been. He has always existed. He came to this earth at his appointed time. He left this earth at his appointed time. But the word has always existed. And isn't that a beautiful depiction of the tabernacle? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? I can imagine David probably didn't even know what he was writing when he said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. But what he was doing, he was painting a picture of the tabernacle. You enter in one way. There is only one way, believers. There is only one way. There is one way to come unto God. 
there is one way that we come into the presence of God. And I want to say to you today, there is no other way that mankind can be saved but through the name of Jesus. There is no other way. There's been appointed no other way. Jesus made it clear. I am the way. He made it clear in the, in the Old Testament at the tabernacle door, the east gate. That doorway, again, was called the way. Listen, there's one way in that is not a, You can't make that kind of stuff up. There's only one way in, and that is through the east gate. That is through the doorway that is called the way. There is no other way. If you are not a believer, if you are hearing this message and your heart has been pricked and you know that you need Jesus, you know that you need a redeemer, you know that it was he that the that the brazen altar represented, him sacrificing his life. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. You know, there, there can be no remissions of sin except by the blood, without the shedding of blood. There can be no remission of sin. That's the word of God. So the blood had to be shed. The price had to be paid. It was a legal issue. Y'all need to get this. You know, Calvary was not just him dying and being persecuted. It was a legal matter that had to be resolved. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. That is why justice was crying for blood. Mercy was pleading for life. But love stepped in and paid the price. What was that love? His name was Jesus. Let me give you an opportunity. If you are not a believer, just repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need to be saved. Save me, Lord. I repent of all of my sins. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to remove me from the kingdom of Satan and translate me into the kingdom of your dear son. If you prayed this prayer for the very first time, let me welcome you into the kingdom of God and his Christ. And let me recommend that you find yourself a good Bible-believing teaching church home. As a matter of fact, a place just like Yes Lord Ministries, where you can come and receive the word of God, you know, in its entirety through a great man and woman of God and all the other ministers that are there. I want to say also to those of you that may be backsliders, you have rejected the work that God started in you by his spirit. And all you have to do 